Welcome back to another episode of Offensively Offensive. My name is Sean D, and with me, as always, is Tom Turner and Nate Schuster. In this week's episode, we will dive into Iowa State and TCU and the dominating victory that Iowa State had in Hilton last Saturday, and followed up with a little talk about Cincinnati and a little road win there. And then we will kind of switch things up a little bit. We will touch on Texas Tech, uh, which is Iowa State's next game on Saturday. But we will kind of spice things up a little bit as we had asked each of us to put together a segment idea for the second half of the show. So we'll kind of get into all that. So uh, Tom and Nate, uh, how are you all doing? Uh, Tom, what did you do this past weekend? Anything fun? I worked both the men's and the women's game. was stuck in a control room for eight plus hours. So zero sunlight for me on Saturday. Sounds sweaty. Very. And dark. Ugh, fun. Nate, what'd you do? Anything fun? Super Bowl made a bunch of money. Can't complain. What was your uh, What was your weirdest bet that hit? Honestly, I it sounds bad. I didn't do any fun props or anything like that. Well, I did one. Uh, it was a 49ers hedge because I, I had a good feeling about the Chiefs this week. I don't know something about me said can't bet against Mahomes. Um, so just hit the money line, but then I would have hit the you see the profit boost with the Kittle 40 yards and McCaffrey to score a touchdown and then the Niners to win. Mm-hmm. There was a promo on DraftKings about it and it felt like it was kind of bait, but yeah, Kittle only had two catches, so the 40 yards never happened. No, he they didn't I don't even think they threw it him very often either. Yeah, I think he only had the two targets. No, anyways. All right. Well, we're past Brock Purdy for the moment. We'll see you again next year, King. Um, so Iowa State TCU. Iowa State beats the Horn Frogs for the second time this year, seventy-one to fifty-nine. Iowa State made eight threes against Horn Frogs to TCU's five. Worth noting, Iowa State was led by Trey King with fifteen points, followed up by Curtis Jones and Keyshawn Gilbert each with thirteen. TCU was able to keep their turnover. Turnover total in check in this game, um, 27 in the first outing and only, I believe, nine in the second. So a little bit different game and environment than we saw when Iowa State was down in fourth from last uh, a couple weeks ago. But, uh, Tom, do you think we learned anything from this game? Not this TCU game in particular. Um, Trey King was the only really thing that stood out to me, him and Curtis. This was the first game that Trey King had 10-plus points since his breakout game against Kansas. So it was nice to see that that wasn't just like a double rainbow effect right there from Trey King. And it's not like TCU's posts are like super physical either. It was just nice to see him do that down low. And then also Curtis Jones went three for five from three. So his consistency, he's starting to ramp up a little bit. I tweeted out earlier after the Cincy game about potentially him as sixth man of the year in the Big 12. Uh, Langston Love, of course, is also another top guy for that. But, yeah, those are the two main takeaways I took from those two guys. One thing I would add is, uh, it's man, it's really nice to see that we can win a game without Milan, you know, lighting up on the scoreboard. Uh, I think we saw that with the Cincy game, too. Uh, It's a good segue towards that. But, uh, yeah, it's it's really nice to see the Trey King. We can win games in multiple different ways. We hear Jay Billis talk about how good Arizona is because they got five guys averaging double figures. Well, at any point, we have five guys who can give you 15, 16 points and and be a threat offensively. I think that's a huge key for this team that, hey, we don't really have a guy who's like, yeah, he's a surefire NBA prospect this year. We really don't. And it's nice to see that this is a team rather than just a couple of individuals kind of standing out. 
which it feels like that can be the case for some college teams. Um, so but that's really what I saw in this game is, you know, this is a team that the Cyclones have. It's not just a couple of guys that, you know, the Niang years where it was like, yeah, George's really good, but, you know, if he's not on, who else is? So, and I know he was on, it's different for him. He had a whole bunch of guys, but you could make the case for other years that, you know, we didn't have as stacked of a roster as we do for, in terms of depth. I think that's a good point. So it, one thing too, that we talked about last year is, is in coming into this year is if Iowa state could raise their floor on the offensive side of the ball and not even like the ceiling could stay the same, right? Every team that's on is on, you know, obviously some are going to be a little bit higher than others, but if you just kind of take away some of that variability, you have a lot more steadier team and you're going to avoid scoring only 39 points against some teams, right? So odds in the off season addresses what most people felt like was a result of that, right? You go after a, a, a rangy shooter in Milan, who's a little bit more of a, you know, less of a slasher and more of a we're just going to get the ball in his hands and let him let him shoot the rock. So they go after Curtis Jones, who was another good three point shooter, who's a little bit more let's take care of the ball, maybe score from the outside from the perimeter. And then Keyshawn Gilbert, you have a little bit more rangy, athletic uh, guard that can kind of slash and kick type of deal. But all I have to say is um, I think that this team, from an offensive perspective, you're kind of seeing it start to come together a little bit more. So Iowa State doesn't like to take many threes. But when they do, typically it's actually worked out well. So this is – I shocked myself by finding this out just before this podcast. So Iowa State's 14-1 and one when they make six or more threes, which you say, duh, the more the more threes you make, the more points you're going to score and you're going to win more games, okay? The second thing I found was that we're 13-2 and two when we attempt 17 or more. So while we're, we don't even focus on swinging the ball around the perimeter and trying to make open threes – we're much more interested in pounding the ball and the pain. Get Trey King looks. Robert Jones kind of does his mid-range thing. But this team has shown that when they're attempting more threes, they're actually equally as dangerous as they are when they're just making them. Yeah, I'd add one piece to that, Sean, is just like you said, the reason that those threes are more open is because we're more effective with our driving. So if we're attacking the paint, defense collapse, there's a lot of ball watching in college especially. That's why we're getting these open looks. If we can get 17 plus open looks because we're have guys like Keyshawn Gilbert and Lipsy driving to get those looks and just have Milan and Curtis Jones just sitting there, shot ready in the corner, that's a lot better shot than just swinging the ball around, hoping that you know someone might have a bad close on you might get a three out of it. I think along the lines of that too is confidence. Like these guys, Lipsy and Gilbert, they're not gonna go four for six from deep, but they're gonna go one for one or two from three. It's volume for those type of shooters, especially like Trey King too. One for two every game. That's perfect for us. Spread the floor with our four guy. And it's just it goes hand in hand. When we drive the ball and kick it, we're gonna get open shots and the confidence and the open space to make those shots are there for our guys. As much as I loved watching Gabe Kalsher go four of six once every full moon. It's kind of nice to be able to put guys out there that you have a little more faith in. And I know that, Tom, you kind of touched on Curtis Jones and potential sixth man of the year in the Big 12. How about him? So a a guy at at Buffalo who is known for his three-point shooting for the most part and then gets to Iowa State and then the non-conference essentially is a non-factor throughout most of it, right? Poor from the field, didn't really contribute up and down, but gets in the Big 12 play and has been a real contributor for a team that – from a scoring perspective has been fine, but if you add some firepower off the bench, it changes your game, right? Nate, the Arizona example is a good one. The more guys you have that can spread the ball around, the more, the more likely that you can stave off that variability. 
yeah, on top of that too, you can't key in on just one guy. Like if we play Purdue, everyone knows the ball's going to Edie. You play us, it could be Lipsy, it could be Gilbert, it could be Curtis Jones, it could be Bob Jones. We don't know. So that's that's another reason why I say that. What do you think that we learned from this game, Nate? TCU can't handle us. I think that's really it. I mean, Lipsy didn't really play all that much. It felt like in the first half. We've has he did he even play like a quarter of the if you combine both 40 minute intervals against TCU, did he even play a quarter of, of those games? It's a great question. They TCU from a matchup perspective on paper is far like they don't want any part of Iowa State. They 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 are specifically scientifically grown in a lab to play like shit against the Iowa State. <laughs> because all they do is run, first and foremost, okay. They only score on fast break. They're a decent shooting team, right? In terms of from if you just take field goal percentage as a whole and effective field goal percentage. But then you look at their three-point distribution, right? They're almost they're three or twenty-fourth in the NCAA in, in shooting threes, meaning that's percentage of points that they score from behind there. Okay. That is a recipe for Iowa State to pick you apart and tear you up and throw you on the fire and eat you. It's it, it's it's a horrendous if you can't work in the half court, then why would you think that you could do it against the, the third best defense analytically in the entire country? Right. Yeah. If you're only scoring your points when you're on the run and you're trying to score fast break points, it's not happening against this team. And if you can't, if you can't swing, swing, swing into an open three, it's not, it's not going to happen. Yeah. I would also, the, the only, one piece I would add to that to quick two-parter is it's tough to, tough to play the way TCU does. If you have three guys on the court at any given moment that really aren't threats from three, like Micah Peavy, Emmanuel Miller aren't that and then throwing up whatever five man's on the court he can't either tough to win that way other piece uh sean you you'll appreciate this so when i was playing we had uh the assistant coach for the 2008 celtics come in and talk to us he's a current scout all right his name's uh i had to pull up his name here that's why i was looking up kevin eastman okay head assistant for doc river staff when he looks at players what he looks at for shooters specifically, you don't judge them on their makes, you judge them on their misses. Now, that's huge for this Iowa State team. It also explains why TCU is not a great shooting team because their misses are atrocious. We've seen that for two games now. But also back to the Gabe Kalsher thing, there was games where, hey, who left the door open? I don't think – have we even had one airball three yet? I think maybe Trey King had one, but that was it all year. So just something to ponder. Um, so Eastman, he, uh, there's a, that's a Des Moines family. The Eastman's are, so there's a connection there. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't know that. So you're right though. You think about Brockington too. You're like, boy, that guy's nails. There's a lot, there's a lot of bricks that he threw up too, right? Like it, he made a lot, but there's some bad misses. Oh man. I love that. Yeah. Like if you what, how often do we see Steph Curry airball? All of his misses are, you know, in and out, roll around the rim. Maybe it's a little short. But you look at a guy like Giannis, who we all know can't shoot, his misses are all over the place. So it's much much rather be consistent rather than, like, sporadic. One I, I don't wouldn't usually shout out. So Hines actually had a good tweet from earlier in the year, kind of when Milan was getting going. And, and for some reason I remember this. He's just like, even the misses look good, which is, again, to your point. 
Yeah, to me, to me and Tom, you can tell me what you think on this. He really feels like the only Iowa State guy that even has a chance of leaving this year, other than yeah. the graduating seniors. I think maybe there is an off chance that Gilbert could test the waters because those were the rumors going into the season that Gilbert is the NBA guy, that not counting Omaha and Milan coming in. But from this season, there's a lot of flaws in Gilbert's game that he can fix coming back for another year. But, yeah, Milan, it's just like you guys said, it's the misses that are, like, in and out. That first game of the season, he hit three in a row, and then his, like, next two misses were in and out, like – like that's just awesome to see when you describe it like that. If you do, y'all know what Milan's shooting from three right now, percentage wise. I'm looking at it. Over forty percent. I think they said that in the broadcast, maybe against Cincy. I'll go forty-one percent. Thirty-nine and a half. So I'm assuming before the game that was correct. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, man, he they did a pretty good week. job on him. He he did not have a good week, um, and I think that's a a point to keep up with too, because these were two dominating wins and we didn't get contributions from our, arguably our best pure offensive player. You know, you could kind of whatever, make an argument for Gilbert or Lipsy, but he, I think for me watching him, guys are going to start to sit on that turnaround jumper. And especially as you're playing teams twice, I think it's going to become a little bit more, it's too predictable right now. I think we know it's coming. So I'm assuming they do too. So in my mind, it's like, all right, as a defender, I'm trying to get into his feet as best as I can to make him super uncomfortable because he's probably going to be able to shoot over the top of whoever he's guarding, although that Cincinnati guy, I think, had a really nice block on him uh, Monday night. But he, he's a one-trick pony right now, so we'll watch him as he continues to develop and see if he can put it on the floor a little bit more. And he's, he's shown flashes, but can he do it every night? That's the hard part. Yeah. The, the one piece uh, I would say is – Look for a counter in the offseason with that move if he does end up coming back. I think the obvious one is just go over your left shoulder instead. So it feels like everything is he's trying to get back to the right facing turnaround. Go fade to your left the way like you know we used to see Kobe Michael do back in the day. That's the next step for him. If he can hit that one, then he's really unguardable in the mid post. He might be a official like refs going down the stretch of this season into March Madness because some refs call cylinder fouls a lot and some don't even think that's a call. And you see the way, especially against Kansas, they were up on him a lot. And we saw a cylinder call against us on TCU on Saturday. So it'd be interesting to see that. And then also Milan, when he's fading away, little pump fake jump into the guy, if that's called too. Those are a couple things like just watch out for. Not all the refs are the same, but like one call, a couple calls here and there, March Madness, that turns a game. Anything else on TCU before we turn over to Cincinnati? Okay. Another very similar game, Iowa State beats Cincinnati on the road, 68-59, to 59, led by both Tame Lipsy and Curtis Jones, each with 15 points. The story in this game, as was the case with the first TCU game, was Cincinnati's inability to handle the basketball they turned it over 19 times and shockingly only had 19 made field goals. So another instance where Iowa State's defense forced literally more turnovers than the other team had made baskets, which I think has happened nine times this year, nine or ten times, something like that. So Cincinnati might as well have been playing with a greased-up watermelon. Like my my thought process when watching them play was, 
you guys remember, I don't know if you, you, I'm assuming both of you played basketball at some point when you were younger, right? Like when you're in middle school, the talent gap and disparity starts to get really big, right? Cause you have those kids, Nate's nodding. You get those kids that go through puberty a little bit quicker. You get those teams that are a little bit better coached, you know, than the kids that are out there just for exercise because their mom made them. So I played on, I played on like some middling teams, some that were okay and some that were bad. And I remember trying to play against, I think it was the all Iowa attack when I was younger and getting absolutely smoked. We didn't even belong out there on the same court, right? Like your point guards dribbling up like waist high basket. And this kid's like, it's, you know, Curtis Stinson's kid or whatever. And he steals in, makes a layup, and he's halfway towards Duncan at seventh grade. Okay. That's what this reminded me of, of watching Cincinnati trying to dribble in their own front court. It was it was appalling, the, the amount of times that they simply threw it away too, right? Like there were some boo birds from their own crowd watching them play. It was – I know TCU was turned over more, but Cincinnati did it in a lot, a lot more hilarious ways. Yeah, uh, that game reminded me about the TCU game and growth. We had a bigger lead in the TCU game, but we blew the lead. Here, it got to, what, 10, 8 points, and we just fought back. That's You can tell a team has grown throughout the season with that, and you, the players, a lot of leadership. We saw that clip during the broadcast of Rob Jones after a miss from Milan. He was right up at his chest, telling him to move on, next play, or whatever else he was saying. It's just like stuff like that. It's the little things that you see here and there that you're seeing growth from a team, a top 10 team, that can really help moving on later in the year. Yeah, I thought it was also interesting uh, in this game particularly, how often do you see a team get blown out on the rebounds by 14 and still win and kind of felt like really didn't have to worry about it? So just looking at the box score, yes, that's something that alarms me. But at the same time, the reason for that is because we turn them over so much so that the rebounds just happen to be live ball turnovers instead. So, I think one thing to know too, and this is something I neglected to mention from the last game, since the Baylor game where we were 59% from the free throw line, we have now gone 10 of 13, 15 of 18, and then 7 of 8 from the line. So guess who's listening to this podcast? The coaching staff. That's right. So, again, you, you, miss, you miss half of those. It's a different game, right? I mean, it's yeah. they only they only attempted eight, so I'm not saying that it was a bigger deal than it has been in the past. And that was actually, yeah, that's Iowa State's season low for the year, believe it or not. But um, it matters, right? Someone's listening; they're doing something different. They're probably shooting in between drills. Hopefully, hopefully. But yeah, I'm glad you touched on that because that was actually going to be my last point on this game. Was hey, we're actually making a making some progress. One of my final points is Rob Jones. I was going in the game. Their bigs are good, not great, but they're the number one offensive rebounding team in the Big 12. And Rob Jones was not only getting boards, but he scored six of our first nine points. Like, And then from there, the guards kind of took over a little bit, and Jones finished with like 12.7 rebounds. But that was one heck of a start because if we remember the Baylor game, Rob had about two just misses from box shot range, and then his confidence was gone for the entire game. So. That was that was fun to watch from him. Sean, do you think this is Rob Jones' best game of the season so far? The Cincinnati game? You know, that's a great point. Um I would have to agree with you simply because off the top of mind, I can't think of a better performance that readily. 
So that would lead me to think, yes. Do you have some? Do you have another game in mind? No, I was just curious. I thought this was his best performance of the year. I was like, wow, looks comfortable, finishing, like everything he did. It was like, wow, he's really locked in right now. Yeah, six or seven from the four, zero from zero from the line, which he didn't miss. Just saying, he didn't miss. Yeah, six boards, one assist, one steal, two turnovers, and three fouls for 12 points. Yeah, I mean, I hope it's, it's kind of hard to beat that. And that's all you're, I think the thing, too, with him is that's all you're looking for, right? Like, just don't do the dumb stuff because he he is a plus when he is, is a neutral, which sounds ridiculous, but I think you both get what I mean, right? When, you're, when he exists out there and you don't hear from him for a while, that's usually a plus for this team. Like, we don't need him to be doing anything spectacular. It's not, I mean, it's true. It's if, if, he, if he's out there and you're like, God, I haven't heard his name in a while. And you go, huh, he's three of three and he has a couple of rebounds and he has two fouls and he's guarding the other team's uh, best big. You're like, hmm, okay. So what you're saying is you want Rob Jones to be the special teams unit for a good NFL team. Never hear about him ever until they fuck up. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's perfect. Print the shirts now. <laughs> Big Rob Energy, special teams, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you're right. You're right. It's it's funny because the only time we do call his name is when he's doing stuff like, was it against Cincy where he like got turned around in the air and he did like a 180 and then tried to pass it. And I was like, oh, just keep your feet on the ground, right? Okay, just go up. It's fine. You fouled, make one. Let's, let's just get out of here. One point per possession. Come on. In Rob's defense, no guard should ever pass him the ball on a fast break where he's too late to jump stop. Like it's that's so unfair for him, but also at the same time, like you're playing Division One basketball, you should probably should not make that play. Tom, like you said, the co- I guarantee you, the coaching staff told the guard who passed that I don't remember who it was. Know your personnel. Yeah. <laughs> what the, What else do we think about Cincinnati? Uh, Nate, back to you. Hard fought road. That's a tough place to play. Uh, I mean, Cincinnati is going to be a force in this conference. You could tell, like, the way that their fan base has kind of, you know, come together for this switch to the Big 12. I think they're going to be a powerhouse eventually. Obviously, not right now. Uh, I thought skill, we held skillings to a good number defensively. I mean, that's a tough guy to guard, 6'8. He's active. Honestly, took care of business. Ugly game. Road wins, road wins really do matter. So it was, it was nice to see us actually. This felt like a, a potential letdown spot. Tom, Tom, do you think that Cincinnati fans that were at the Houston game on Saturday and then the Iowa State game this week, do you think who do you think they thought was the better team walking out of that arena, Iowa State or Houston? I think they would say Iowa State, and I think that's because they face Houston a lot back in the uh, athletic conference and. Houston on Saturday, that was a more ugly game than what we had on Tuesday. And we were hitting consistent shots with multiple guys. For ba- for Houston, it's only Shed and Cryer, and they just get offensive boards. So there's a lot right there. To, I'm just saying, unbiased, not unbiased. Cincinnati fans, I'm pretty sure we're on the same page here. I, I don't think it's ridiculous to say that because I kind of like tongue-in-cheek sent that to like one of my group texts. And I was like, well, I mean, I don't think – like, I don't have a problem saying the Houston's a better team. It's it's 
February 15th, and we're both bowing for first in the Big 12. Like, I'm not going to argue with you, right? But the fact that there is a case to be made is very interesting this late in the year. So one thing we also haven't touched on, uh, <laughs> Jizzle James, amazing name, by the way. Obviously, the as was mentioned on the broadcast 12 different times, the son of Colts running back Edron James. Jizzle is probably third on my on my baby names list. Probably third. I think Fuquan's probably first. Fuquan D. Jizzle D. Like is Jizzle short for something? Like I have to know. Like what what is his now I have to click on him. But anyways, so Jizzle James with 16 points is a 39% three-point shooter. But really, I think they mentioned that he had only made like two in the last like four games or something like that. Yeah, I know yeah. Hefton Walters mentioned something on the radio broadcast about that. Yeah, they mentioned that multiple times on the broadcast. And he hit one right away, and he hit one after a shot clock violation, which we had like four or five shot clock violations. And you can tell that's when the defense is on. Like our defense is on all the time, but that's when the teams are struggling, when they can't have the ball hit the rim in 30 seconds. So Jizzle James, last five games, starting from the fifth one, UCF zero for zero from three at West Virginia zero for zero from three at Texas Tech one of two Houston zero for zero Iowa State four of six like we talk about this team I mean we talk about this team and their inability to defend from three okay it's a pick your poison battle we talk about it constantly if you're going to be trapping if you're going to be causing chaos teams can swing swing for an open three okay that was not the case tonight or last night. That was not the case. Okay. He literally would just cross half court, get a screen and then fire. And it was going in. Okay. This was a, this is a, I'm trying to think about some Colt guys that we've played against. Oh, like uh, Bridges in Baylor in the big 12 tournament last year. Like that's, this is the same thing. You're like, okay, what's going on here? Just one of those days, man. Rains are rains. All right. What else on Cincinnati? I don't think I have anything else. It, like we all said, it was a great like win on the road, perfect letdown spot. And I feel like we see that other years, a guy's going to go four for six from three who shot two in the past four games, and we lose. But we won the game. And I think that kind of tells of how special this team could be. Yeah, I think if we play this, play this game last year, play this game in TJ's first year, we lose that game. I think that's this Cincinnati game felt like kind of similar to like those 54 point almost eggs that we would lay it felt like so the fact that we're still only one game under 60 points all season really like that great all right so let's switch things up here so usually we would launch into texas tech but we will save that uh for last instead i gave each of you homework this morning so not much time to do that but thank you for your uh, thank you for your participation so I asked the three of us to come up with a segment idea for the second half of the show. For example, the one thing that I wanted to talk about was best and worst possible paths for Iowa State in the NSA tournament, meaning not necessarily location, not necessarily mid-majors, but just who are some teams that you'd rather see and who are some teams that you absolutely want to stay on the other side of the bracket from. So I will go first. I will tee it up and then turn it over to you guys to talk about the point that I made, we'll get through mine and then we'll dive into each of yours. So I, I was thinking about this this morning when I was driving into work 
because it's finally time to start talking about seeding and location for the NCAA tournament. Okay. The four regionals this year are in Detroit, Boston, Los Angeles, and Dallas. Selfishly, there's one I'm cheering for over the others, of course, but that's not going to happen. So Iowa State currently, according to Joe Lunardi, is a three seed. Okay. They are likely the top three seed at this very moment. And that could very well change, especially, excuse me, especially with the chance to win again against Texas Tech on Saturday. And then a potential to have the single best win in college basketball on Monday, which you you could say that, right? If we beat Houston at Houston, it might be the best win in the entire sport this year. Right? Okay. Um, unless, unless someone beats UConn at, at UConn. I think that's sure. the only way you could get a better better win. Sure. Even even Kansas's home stuff is devalued this year just because of how they are. Usually that's the best win, right? I was thinking about who of the higher seeds would I want to see and who would I not want to see, okay? So for starters, I, good good UConn segue, I want to stay as far away from them as possible. There is no, there's no team in my mind that is scarier right now than UConn, okay? For obvious reasons, defending national champions, really well coached, have NBA talent, have only lost, what, twice this year? Okay, like I, that's the number one team that I want to stay as far away from as possible. On the other hand, I think Purdue presents a very interesting matchup for Iowa State. I think that they're I, – I don't want to call them one-dimensional. I will call them more of a one-trick pony. Nate, you mentioned this. We know where that ball's going, okay? That ball's going to ED, and then he's going to – He's going to throw up his shot put, Tyler Hansborough style, but he's 10 inches taller than everyone and is probably going to go on, okay? What does Iowa State do extremely well? Trap the low post. No middle, okay? It's like the MO. We create chaos for anyone that catches the ball on or near the block. I think that that would be a recipe for success for us, okay? I think our guards would give their guards fits. We would have them in hell. I, I don't think they can handle it. I don't believe in them. We'll see what happens analytically. They're obviously still strong. They are second in Ken Palm, second best offense, 14th best defense. They're not, they're no slouches. I'm not, none of these teams are, but if you're trying to tell me that, would you rather play against Houston, UConn or Arizona right now, or Purdue, I, I will take Purdue. Okay. So thoughts there as we get started. The Purdue, uh, topic is very I think it's funny because Purdue fans will go at you and lift have all these descriptions of why they're the best team and this year's different if only we had evidence from one year ago about a lesser opponent that doubled Edie and let their freshman guards who are now sophomores shoot the ball like and I love Fletcher Lawyer I was a big fan of Foster but him and Braden Smith even though Smith has gotten better it's just like you can't count on those guys in the NCAA tournament. Edie is good. He's just he's not just tall, he's good. He knows how to use his feet and he knows how to use the lane to his advantage and not get three seconds all the time. But like you said, going with the double team, it sounds stupid saying out loud, but nobody does double team like Iowa State does. And it works. And we have evidence of it working. So I would also agree with Purdue. And I kind of like Zona a little bit too, just because they throw the ball to Ballo a lot, and Ballo is not good at all. He was a bench warmer at Gonzaga, and he had to transfer out, 
and a couple off seasons, and now he's the guy he has become. There's also Caleb Love, five stars and double digits, more on so, but I agree Purdue is probably the one seed that I would like to face the most. Yeah, Purdue for sure. Uh, two things on Purdue. Uh, well, actually three. One, do you guys know the last time the Big Ten won a national title? 2000. Michigan 2000, State. Michigan State, national title. So in 24 calendar years, there has not been a Big Ten title winner. I think this is obviously going to continue. Uh, I think the, the way to beat Purdue is, one, you really have to guard Lance Jones. Edie's going to get his. Lance Jones is the only guard I'd be worried about. And all you really have to do is just ball pressure, which is a strength of this team. Like we always have our heels above the three-point line. When you see that, it says like, hey, we're not worried about you driving past us. We have our help side principles down. We're good, okay? The other piece that I see a lot is we have really great ball pressure on post-entry passes, and that makes it a lot harder for the passer to get the ball in. And maybe he gets, you know, I don't know what, they like dissuaded is probably the right word I'm looking for to throw it in there. Last piece, Fletcher Lawyer, dude might be the lowest IQ two guard I've seen in a while. He takes a lot of just random bad shots out of nowhere just because it kind of feels like, well, if I miss this, Edie will just get the rebound. But that's not always the case. And I would like to point out, too, that we faced Hunter Dickinson this year. And he's a completely different post player than Edie. But he's 7-1. He's a big guy. He's great from passing in the paint. And he scored 20 points on 18 shots against us. So, like, and most of his points were jumpers that we were giving him, too. He wasn't getting anything down low with the double teams. So I thought that was, like, an interesting set, too. But they are two completely different players. So take that with a grain of salt. I think, Sean, what do you think about two years ago, looking back at Purdue and seeing how they did? Because didn't they lose to a St. Peter's two years ago, if I'm not, if I'm not wrong? Yeah, I think they built did. on defense, too, right? Wasn't that St. Peter's? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Might mm-hmm. something. Anyways, uh, I think one well, last point on Purdue here because we're kind of just kind of shit on them, I guess, for no reason. They're still a very good team. I, I don't. I mean, they they very well might be in the final four. I mean, that's very real possibility. I think when you talk about elite post play in college basketball, especially your guard play matters so much more than it does in the NBA. And how do you slow down a guy who's known for just playing himself in the low post and then do whatever he needs to do to get an easy basket, right? And that's ball pressure. Well, what do you know? What also does Iowa State do at a very high level? Ball pressure. It helps having one of the best guard defenders in the entire NCAA and Lipsy, Gilbert Snow Slouch himself, and others, Curtis Jones. Okay. I like those three guys against Baylor's guards, especially for all the reasons that you all just mentioned. I love hearing about some guy being the lowest IQ basketball player that you've seen in a while. That kind of tickles me. makes me a little excited. But um, so Purdue, Purdue is probably the one team that I would be most okay with playing. I, on the other hand, um, I have I would have any problems with some teams that shoot the ball at a high level. Funny enough, I do want to get uh, Tom's take on this because I think Creighton would be in a really interesting matchup for Iowa State, and I don't mean that in a good way. So I kind of will just push that to you and let you go. Yes, known Creighton fan here. He, he was in my – like Creighton was also in my segment of yours. Maybe the worst matchup of all time. Marquette's up there too with us. They have three guards that shoot it at an amazing clip. They have two point guards on the court in Ashworth and Shireman. And then they have the two-time defensive player of the year down low in Kalkbrenner. Now their bench is a little 
sparse to say the least. That is their main downfall in the power forward spot. But Mason Miller, who plays that four, Mike Miller's son, LeBron's nephew, can shoot the ball well from time to time. I won't go on a Creighton rant here, but that is a very bad matchup for Iowa State. Our defense could definitely cook up something against them, but there's just too many pieces. Like, I love the matchup on Lipsby. Yeah, Taman. I'll just go there. Taman against Ashworth because he's we soon getting bullied a lot in the Big East. So that would be a big point for me. But Baylor Shireman and Trey Alexander, I think they could kind of carve up the Iowa State defense a little bit because they love to get into the middle of the paint and throw lobs to Kalkbrenner. And are like I just don't feel confident with Rob Jones and Hassan Ward going against him. But that's just like both side of me fighting back against one another. But that's all I'll say. I won't try to go anymore, but I agree it's not a great matchup for Iowa State. If I had to pick a matchup I didn't like, I really don't want to see Tennessee myself. I don't neck. I don't really know how teams guard that guy. I mean, 6'10", 6'11 guy, scores from everywhere. That's not something we match up well with just because we have three guys on our team that are kind of our fours and fives that are all under his height. So that's that's one I don't love, and it's kind of a like styles make fights kind of deal. They they also want to turn games into a rock fight a little bit on the defensive end. So I think that could potentially cause some problems. However, I don't think we would ever get matched up with them. Well, that would be a two-three matchup in the Sweet Sixteen. Yeah, we, we'd we'd be so far out, and relying on a Rick Barnes team to make it that far that we've seen over the last couple of years. Not trying to throw shade on Tennessee. I actually really do like them, but they've proven to not be reliable. They had a stretch earlier in the year where they played Purdue, Kansas, and North Carolina back to back to back, and they lost all three. So, I mean, they were. Mostly close, lost to Purdue by four, looks like Kansas by nine, and then North Carolina by eight. So that's a tough stretch. I thought they should have beat Purdue in that game, but yeah, it's lost either way. I won't I won't keep going on this. I actually threw another team that I threw in my would want to see uh bracket is TCU and Kansas State, but you know, it's just that's just for down the road. So, anyways, all right, what's uh who wants to go next? I can go next. Um, I do have one more point with yours. I also looked at a six seed, like who we do and don't want to face. I would love to face Dayton. Their best player is a power forward. They got to pass him the ball, ball pressure. We're going to take that away. And then I was thinking more in the three seed line for us. An 11 seed in the round of 32, I would hate to play is New Mexico. Three veteran guards that shoot the ball well. Jamal Mashburn Jr. is on that team. Very scary team, but I'll keep that short and then get to my segment, which is I kind of told you guys to just do a list of guards you thought or teams that had guards you thought played the best this season. And as I'm getting to it now, the teams included Purdue, Iowa State, Creighton, Marquette, Duke, St. Mary's, and Auburn. So all these teams are ranked, most of them in the top 15. Do you guys have your list with you? I, I need more information on what exactly the list is supposed to be in regards so to. I I probably did a bad job of explaining it, but I just wanted you to do like one through seven. Who do you think has the best guards out of those seven teams? Just overall from a points, rebounds, shooting, assists, defense. 
because as you're looking at your list now, I kind of can explain it to the listeners. I graded everything from shooting percentages to defense to like who was on the floor late in games, uh, games that I've watched and you like you see big plays, like what are they doing? And then, of course, like points, rebounds, steals, turnover percentage, all that business. Okay, so we want to start with the seventh first or the first? Yeah, we can start with the seventh. And you guys tell me who you have, and then I'll show you, and then I'll say who was number seven. I'm kind of doing this on the fly. So, Nate, if you're more prepared, please. Gotcha. Last place, Purdue. Purdue is not. It is actually Auburn. Auburn may have the worst (laughs) guards. And if you remember, KD Johnson is on this team who played with Jabari Smith, who just didn't throw him the ball, and that's how they lost to Miami in 2022. Auburn has the worst guards in terms of shooting percentage, turnover rate, all that business. It is horrendous. They're good. Their bigs are good, though. I mean, their wings and their bigs are elite. Yeah. Just for this, it's just guards. But, yeah, yeah, like you – number six – well, now, I'll, uh, I'll say Purdue. It is Purdue. It is. Damn, and the only flipped. thing, the only thing that kept them out of last place is their three-point shooting percentage. And the only reason that's high is because Edie gets doubled. Otherwise, they'd be in last place. But yes, so they yeah. are number six. Forty. They shoot third. As a team, they shoot forty percent from three, which is staggering. Yeah, that's it. So I. <laughs> As much as we want to pick Purdue as a matchup, that would be that would be a problem. And then number five, any guesses here? I'm going to go St. Mary's. It is indeed St. Mary's. Yes, they don't shoot the ball well. They they turn over a good amount, but their guards do rebound really well. That is the one thing that kept them above the others, and then of course scoring as well. And they are very good down the stretch which we kind of saw that if anybody watched them against gonzaga they kind of took it to them late and won very late in that game after they were losing for quite a bit and then we have a couple ties here so i feel like you i feel like you're telling you're just leading us to get to creighton to be number one because that's just (laughs) again don't don't respond to that don't respond to that but that just that's where i feel like we're going I will say that I w- this feels like something – I feel like this is a test question. Like I feel like Iowa State and Duke are, like, weirdly close. I, I have no reason for saying that, but that's my guess, if you're saying there's a couple ties. So it sounds like Sean cheated because they're actually tied for fourth. <laughs> so they are tied for fourth. If you're telling me now that this Iowa State team at the beginning of the season with Curtis Jones was tied for, quote-unquote, having as good as guard play as Duke University, like – and that kind of goes with Curtis's last seven games have really jumped Iowa State in this metric. And Proctor has not played great since coming back from his injury, even though that was over a month ago. Roach does not do a lot of things well, but shoot the three ball. Like he's not the assist guy you think he might be, especially looking at all this. So that and McCain is really jumped them up a little bit. He's rebounds at a great rate, a lot of things for them, but they Canceled each other out, uh, McKay and Lipsy, and then Curtis and Proctor. So that was kind of surprising to me to see Iowa State kind of up that much. And then for second place, 
Any guesses? Because I'll go Marquette. second and first, right? I'll Actually, say it's Creighton and then Marquette is my guess. Yeah, it is Creighton and then Marquette. Creighton was close. Even though I typically don't think of Shireman as really a guard, even though he is the second point guard of the team, he, he really plays as the four, and they just put Mason Miller in the corner. But, yeah, so it is – that's my segment right there. Marquette has the best guards, and that's kind of obvious when you look at their team and Tyler Kolick, who is the Big East player of the year last year. And Cam Jones is very good as well. What the, So remind me, what were, what were the stipulations they used? Like, what were, how did you calculate this out? So there was all the stats from points, rebounds, assists, shooting percentages, turnover rate. And then I added another uh, category of like, like big plays that I saw. Like I saw Tyler Kolick take over against Butler on Tuesday late in the game. So like that. And then I graded them out A, B, C, D, and then kind of just added that all up. And that came me to like a, like Marquette had an A, Creighton had an A minus. Duke and Iowa State had a B plus like from there. Purdue C. So like, it's just, it was kind of stuff like that. I kind of went into a little too much. I kind of want to make it more simpler, but that's kind of how it felt. No, that's awesome. No, that's great. I mean, and it's a good, it's a good uh, look into what Iowa state could potentially face, right? Those are some good teams. And if they were to make a run, they're going to see at least one of them. And I think it shows our fans a little bit like Duke university and Marquette, like these big programs, like, they shouldn't scare you too much because our guard play, which consists of a Buffalo transfer, a UNLV transfer who doesn't shoot the three ball well, and a sophomore guard who was a three-star coming out, they are playing just as up there as Duke and, you know, getting close to Marquette and Creighton up there. Might actually be a perfect segue into my segment with those with that three guards. If you guys want to do do mine. Yeah, so well, my segment was comparing this 2023-24 Iowa State men's basketball team to the Baylor Bears of 2021, who are the national champions, okay? So funny thing about all three of those Baylor guards, they were all transfers. So we talked Curtis Jones, Keyshawn Gilbert, they all came from elsewhere. Jared Butler was an Alabama transfer. Davion Mitchell came from Auburn. Macy Oteague, I believe, was UNC Greensboro or Wilmington, uh, one of those two. All three of those guys averaged 10 plus points per game. Iowa State right now, and they were the only three to average 10 plus. Okay. Could you, how many players in Iowa State as of right now are averaging over 10 points? Do you guys know? I would just say three. I would say three, two. Four. Four. Curtis Jones, after this nice little stretch, is, is up to 10 points per game. So we have four guards, and Trey King's averaging nine and a half points per game. So we truly have that Arizona balance of the of five starters pretty much getting you 10 points a game. Trey King has one more good game. I think he'll be at that mark. If, if I told you guys that we currently average three points less per game than that Baylor team did, would you be surprised? I would. What if I told you we gave up? three less points per game than that Baylor team does. You had my curiosity, but now you have my attention. So it's actually a wild stat right there. That's crazy. Essentially when Tom, we talked about this earlier, that Baylor team, other than the two games that they played us that year dominated every game that they played in, which is funny because we went two and 22 that year, but every game was easy. And to be quite honest with you guys, how many of our games this year have been easy? 
quite a few. A, a fair amount, yeah. Like we, I mean, and on top of that, that Baylor team, they lost at Kansas that year in a game that they were, you know, were projected to lose, but it was like the only game all year they're supposed to lose. And yes, we're projected to lose at Houston this year. Kansas didn't win the title. Neither did Houston probably won't win the title this year. So they only have those two guards. We, we shoot even free throws. They're a little bit better from the three point line than we are. Uh, we force more turnovers. We get more steals, more blocks. We turn over the ball less. Uh, it's, it's really impressive. If you really look at this, I'm just looking at basketball reference, just comparing these two teams. And it's, it's quite exciting to see this. And, you know, we're getting more steals, more blocks, less turnovers. This is how we're going to win games in March. This, it, it, it's going to be tough to scout for this team in a one game intervals. So what, what do you guys think? I, I want to touch one more point on the, on the roster makeup similarities, but I just want to give it to you guys. What do you guys think on that? I, so the, the point on defense, I, I could get on board with the, the offensive side is, is what confuses me. This, this Baylor team, I'm looking at their Ken Palm stuff. Right? They were so good. I, I'm their, their schedule. If you just run through their conference play, it's like uh win by 11, win by 15, win by 20, uh, win by 18, win by eight, win by eight, win by 13. Like they killed everyone. Like they did not have close games. They won one game in overtime against West Virginia. They lost to Kansas. They lost to Oklahoma tournament. And then we almost beat them somehow. Uh, we only lost by five or whatever, but yeah, wild. No, I never would. I, I can't even wrap my head around that. I don't even want to get into all the stats that like surprise me, but the charity stripe one is is wild to me, which it, it kind of does make sense. They're winning these like eight to ten point games and also blowouts. You know, they're not going to get as many free throws because they're kind of out of the length there. But still, like three points less on offense. Like, are you kidding me? That team is known for having like three guards that could score anywhere, and two of them are in the NBA right now. They they were also the best three point shooting team in the country, which will add to kind of the disparity. Because you're right on the points situation. From a pace perspective, though, they still play, played relatively slow. Yeah, they just were really good at shooting. Jared Butler was the shiftiest guard we played against in my time at Iowa State. And the guy, from a size standpoint, he's 5'11", guys. Like, he's not a big dude, and he could just kill us. But the last piece I want to add to this is, or what was the key to that Baylor team? It was the guards. It was the three guards that they had. What, what's our strength right now? Three guards. Gilbert is kind of similar to the way that Mitchell played to me. Slasher, not the best shooter in the world, but he's going to fight his ass off all game. Lipsy, dog, okay? Curtis Jones kind of has a Teague feel to me, kind of more of a hired gun off the bench, kind of like how TJ says. Here's another one for you. Remember Matthew Mayer on that Baylor team? Who does he remind you of a little bit? The only tall white guy we have. Yes. And the where that team lacked was in post play. And that's kind of where we lack. We we really just want our bigs to be net neutrals. That's kind of what Baylor wanted. We just need guys that are going to run the court, play good defense, call out screens. That's what we do really well. So stuff to stuff to make you go, hmm. But I thought this was really interesting and I actually had a lot of fun doing this. So I did not like that segment. That got me too hyped. Now I yeah, think we're gonna win is, the national championship. This is stop not it. Hyped. 
That was too good of a segment from Nate there. That just got me hyped. Like I'm ready to run through a brick wall right now. And and for the record, I just want to say like we, I I know the three points less per game. Like I get that. I um, was that way offensive efficiency, three points less or points per game? Points per game. Points per game. Okay. That is interesting. Yeah. From an efficiency perspective. All right. They were, because now I'm interested. Okay, so they were one, they're 125 uh, adjusted offensive efficiency versus our 120. No, so that's Baylor. Whoops. 125 versus our 115. So they were full 10 points better per 100 possessions. So in the whole I poke, they're, we're a lead on offense. So national title caliber. I will add one more piece of that. I lied. Uh, LJ Cryer was on that team. Big time recruit didn't play much. Omaha Blue, big time recruit didn't play much. It's there, man. Stop saying things, dude. It's getting me too hyped. <laughs> sure, we'll allow it. We'll allow it. All right, that was good. I like that. We'll have to bring so that back every once in a while. I like, I like hearing what you came up with, Tom. You put in a lot of work for that, and <laughs> you're stretching that for yard. But I love it. Yeah, <laughs> it's not that ridiculous. It's not. It's, really, it's really not. Like, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it is a little ridiculous. Still love it. It's good radio. All right. So let's close this out with a few thoughts on Texas Tech. Um, really, for me, this game on Saturday before we get to the big one on Monday, uh, Tech shoots the ball well from three, right? So 23rd best three-point shooting team in the country in terms of percentage. Uh, they hunt points from around the arc. So I think it, they could potentially give Iowa State an issue Iowa State's also still a six-point favorite, according to Ken Palm. Um, so this is one that if Iowa State is serious about winning the Big 12, they'll win and they'll win handily. Um, I do think that we're destined to drop two games at some point over our next few, just because I think that it's hard to play this well from a sustained period like this long, and especially how hard we play. I don't know if this is going to be the one, if I'm being honest. I think that Houston one's an obvious one, but I don't think this is it. So – uh, what do we like about Texas Tech? What do we not like? Uh, there's just two points that really stand out to me. One is Pop Isaacs, who playing like a first-team All-Big 12 guy right now, has a long-setting shot, and I don't think that works against Iowa State. It didn't work last year when we beat him by 30 in our building, and he shot awful. And the second thing is, after the Cincy game, teams that are facing the Cyclones turn the ball over one out of every four possessions, 25%. I don't have much to add on top of that. If Ken Pump says we're going to win by six, I actually like us by more than that. Um, I mean, it's a hard place to play, man. I don't expect expect guys to get up for an 11 o'clock game with a raucous crowd like that. It's going to be tough for Tech. Also, uh, George Connett will be there for anyone in attendance, so that'll be nice uh, to see an old cyclone. But that's really my two, two cents on this one. I think Iowa State by 10 plus. But are you going? That's the question. Sadly, no. Ugh. Brother's birthday. Mm-hmm. You should have found a new brother. Yeah, what do you think about Joe, Joe Toussaint's uh, last last hurrah at Hill? No reset. Yeah. Nope. Uh, hopefully, Jamie Pollard gives him a ceremony like John Higgins and we clap for him a little bit. <laughs> That'd be nice, but I'm going to miss him. I hope he applies for a medical redshirt and does the same thing that uh, Bohannon did, leaves his shoes, and then comes back like awkwardly for one last go around and then just gets the shit kicked out of him. That's what I would like, but 
he's not as he's not as dislikable as Jabo. So he's a, he's a net neutral for me. All right, that's enough for today. We went way over what we thought we were going to do. So this was fun. We'll be back. Um, I'll think about what we want to do about Houston, but a uh, couple of fun ones this weekend, and uh, it's fun to be talking about the NSA tournament. We're getting closer. So go Cyclones, and uh, thanks for listening.